That phrase health medicine really struck a chord with me because if we want to talk about the social determinants of health, if we want to talk about um, you know all the different topics that are brought together and where functional medicine is leading the conversation is how do we create a health system built around health. IFM recently wrapped up our 2021 annual international conference, which marked 30 years of the functional medicine movement. Since its inception, functional medicine has provided a new paradigm for mitigating chronic illness and restoring health. Keeping with its roots, this year's conference discussed innovative strategies for addressing prominent issues in healthcare, such as long-term sequelae of COVID-19 infection, enhancing patient-centered care in a virtual or group environment, and the urgency of health equity in at-risk communities. In this episode of Pathways to Wellbeing, we welcome James Maskell to discuss the key learnings from this three-day online experience and what they mean for the future of functional medicine. James Maskell is a former economist turned serial entrepreneur who founded Functional Forum, the world's largest integrative medicine conference with record-setting participation online and growing physician communities around the world. He's also the founder of The Evolution of Medicine, a community e-commerce platform which provides highly curated and customized resources, tools, products, and services, making it easier and more affordable for conventional doctors to embark on a new way of managing healthcare. James has spent the past decade sparking debate and encouraging a shift away from conventional Western medicine and towards a wellness-centered functional medicine model, starting with the doctors themselves. Welcome, James. I'm so happy to have you with us today. Thanks. Excited to be here. Thanks so much for having me. You know, this year's AIC was a really heartfelt and I would say at times uh, emotional exploration of where we're at in healthcare um, and how functional medicine practitioners are uniquely well suited to address things like social determinants of health. And as a clinician, there were times where I felt both the weight of responsibility just to do better, but also felt really empowered to interface with my patients in a really nourishing and healing way. So I know it's really hard to narrow it down. There were so many great speakers, but I thought we could start today's episode by just sharing a memorable moment from this year's conference. Yeah, I want to share a memorable phrase that I hadn't really heard before that I felt was sort of like a unifying trend across a number of talks was this concept of health medicine. Right. So Amy Mack talked about it in her opening and it was in some of the other areas, too. You know, I've always been trying to find a way to unite practitioners like you're a naturopathic doctor. There's people that really align with functional, integrative, all these different words. But ultimately, we're all doing a very similar type of care. And, uh, you know, that that phrase health medicine really struck a chord with me, because if we want to talk about the social determinants of health, if we want to talk about, um, you know, all the different topics that are brought together and where functional medicine is leading the conversation is how do we create a health system built around health? And so for me, that was sort of like a highlight to see, is this is this a phrase? Like, is this a, a brand in a certain way that could unite all of these different areas and that we can then look to provide real leadership out to the rest of medicine that is now seeking to kind of reinvent itself with this need to create health that they don't really understand how to do it? Yeah, health medicine. That's really well aligned with um, what I would say was is my most memorable or one of my most memorable experiences, at least from the first day of the conference was 
in Amy's opening talk, how she recounted that origin story of IFM and how Dr. Jeff Bland had this knock on his door in 1977. And on the other side of that door was Dr. Joe Pizzorno. And then Dr. Bland goes on to describe this, um, I think he termed it group of friendly revolutionaries, which I loved, who came together and blended, just as you're speaking about, naturopathic medicine, molecular medicine, systems biology, to create what we know now is functional medicine and being a naturopathic doctor and graduating from Bastyr University where Dr. Pizzorno was a founder, it's really special to hear how intertwined that history is. And I think that really set the scene for us to think about how functional medicine, integrative medicine is so special because it honors so many fields of medicine and that health medicine catchphrase, I think is just a, a really nice way to summarize how we just all wanna take care of patients in exciting and innovative ways. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was a, a great starting point. I love hearing the old stories. Obviously, 30 years is a big deal. And it's nice to be able to do this because, you know, every year for the last five years, we brought the, the cameras to the AIC and we've had a chance to like speak to doctors, meet the community, have people do one minute tips, some interviews. And so, yeah, I'm really grateful for this opportunity to, you know, summarize what we learned so that all those people around the world that did attend and, and many that didn't are able to get a, a feel for what was a, a really special event. Exactly. I couldn't agree more. And it is, I will say it is fantastic to see how we're able to make these connections and cultivate the sense of community, even on an online platform. But of course it would have been so nice to be together, especially when we're talk talking about these topics that, you know, are very emotionally, socially charged. Um, it's so nice to be able to have that open dialogue about these, about these topics. And of course, racism bias and the responsibility for healthcare workers to engage in these conversations was really highlighted during our conference. And I'd love to chat with you a little bit about, you know, why you think this focus is really crucial for the future of patient care. Yeah, absolutely. So about three years ago, I realized that, you know, this was the next big sort of thing that we had to overcome in functional medicine, right? It's been the medicine for, you know, the very green, the very rich and the very sick, the very desperate for that long. And, you know, if we want to make it out into the rest of medicine, you know, we need to really start thinking about these these kinds of topics, access. And I've heard someone say that medicine's not really functional unless it functions for everyone. Mm. And so when we start to work with, you know, parts of the population that have not had access with functional medicine before, you know, it's really important to be able to, you know, really understand where those people are coming from. If we're the, if we're the medicine of understanding people's story, right, we really need to understand the full story and the full context. And that's actually something that Gail Christopher said in her opening keynote is that story is such a big part of medicine and particularly functional medicine, because going in and doing the deep dive and understanding where people came from, what their parents are like, what their parents did for a living, what their early years were like, your story as a patient is critical. But a lot of times, you know, it's not just people's own life story. It's the sort of environment that they arrived into. And that can, you know, be intergenerational, that can have all kinds of, um, you know, history that they're kind of coming from. And so ultimately, I think it was a it was a big moment for, for IFM to lead into this conversation. I've become so passionate about group functional medicine because I believe that not only, and it's proven out with the outcomes earlier this year in the British Medical Journal from the Cleveland Clinic, that not only are 
um, the outcome's better, but the cost is lower, which now means there's a legitimate new model to create access to functional medicine um, operating system for clinics and for you know organizations that want to grow and deliver functional medicine. And you know, one of the beauties of the group model is that it does, if you put people of diverse origin and experience into a room together, it's actually profoundly educational for everyone in the room. And I think as an organization or as a movement, you know, by highlighting uh, people like Dr. Gail Christopher, like Dr. Zimmer, you know, Dr. Carter, we're able to really understand, you know, uh, where we might have been missing the mark and how we can, you know, all up level uh, the quality of care that we can provide as we make our way into new territory. Yeah, that's beautifully said. And a couple of things came up for me as I was hearing you speak, which Dr. Gail Christopher, just what an amazing opening to a conference that has to be one of the most impactful conference opening speeches I've ever experienced. And she talked about this, we're kind of at this triangle of three different pandemics, which is obviously the COVID-19, but also racism and then the downstream economic crisis. And I think what you've highlighted is that we have to do the medical management piece, obviously with diagnosing, but we really have to understand the lived experience of enduring hardship, enduring racism, that trauma piece, um, and in a culture that's really fraught with implicit bias. And we have to understand how that plays out in a patient's health trajectory. And you already just highlighted the importance of telling the story. And I've often thought that functional medicine really shines in this area because we already have tools like the matrix and the timeline that help us tell that story as we plot out our patient's lived experience. Um, and I think it's really important that you highlighted the group visit experience and how that captures folks from a community and builds on that trust and that relationship to, to really acknowledge how those lived experiences play out in our health. Yeah, it's absolutely uh, critical. And I think that, you know, as a community, patients need to experience that to understand each other and build trust and connection. And then obviously as a community of practitioners, there's a long way to go, you know, to build that too. And that's why I'm like very much involved in trying to bring practitioners together and community together um, of practitioners, because uh, I think that, um, you know, one of the things you see in the group dynamic is that the group dynamic allows people to go places that they couldn't go by themselves. Right. And I think, you know, as a as a functional medicine community, what we're creating through this sort of input and then, you know, ongoing community and connection and conversation about these topics, we're allowing doctors to, you know, and practitioners to go places that they might not go for themselves. Like you could run your own little practice, only deal with white rich people and never have to deal with this at all. But ultimately, there's a calling here to go in and really make medicine functional and take this opportunity for, you know, what we're calling this year at the, at the evolution of medicine, the reinvention of medicine, right? We've had COVID. We've seen that it was the, the medical system we have is not fit for purpose. We have an inkling that the functional medicine operating system can solve a number of these critical issues from chronic disease care, but also, you know, some of the things we're talking about with medicine or otherwise, but one thing I think that, that Dr. Zimmer said that I was interested in is that just learning about it is not enough in the same way that like just learning about doing healthy behaviors is not enough. It's in the actual implementation of these ideas into your practice where all the learning happens and just learning about it doesn't lead to the outcomes. And so I think 
you know, we're really starting to understand in functional medicine, like we have to focus our efforts on getting people to participate, right? It doesn't really matter what the protocol is. First things first, let's get people to participate in their health. And the same thing too with this is like, it doesn't really matter what the, what the protocol is for how we're all going to change our practice and go through a journey of self-discovery to understand how we can remove implicit bias and these things from our practice, but we have to get started into action. And so I, my hope is that, you know, everyone who is watching is now digesting and now is able to start to, you know, start to implement that because this is going to be an ongoing conversation and an ongoing journey for everyone. And I'll, I'll just add, as you're talking about this relationship between that, that patients have with a practitioner, but also that they may have with each other in a group visit setting is in that opening talk, Dr. Gail Christopher invited us to view health and wellness as something that's relational. So she said, overcoming racial injustice requires that we create this culture where we can depend on each other and then really to value that interdependence. Um, she said, in order to end racism, we have to understand how we participate in systemic and structural manifestations um, and that this work is clearly a matter of life and death. And so thinking about how the group visit model helps to facilitate just value that we place on that interdependence, I think is just adds a layer of, of power to that approach. Yeah, absolutely. It's an interesting journey. And, the, you know, the more and more to see parallels, like there's always been interesting parallels for practitioners, you know, that the implementation of participatory medicine with patients and then going a step further and realizing like what doctors have to do in order to implement uh, in that same way, there's always been a lot, lot of great lessons there. And I think um, there continues to be, you know, great lessons in, in how we're all in the process of transforming the way that we see patients and the way that, you know, doctors practice medicine. I think one thing Dr. Zimmer said that I like, she says, you know, just recognize that I could be at fault here. Like this could be me. This could be something that's for me. And I think that's something that was, was very interesting because, you know, just from my own personal experience, like I, I grew up my first five years in this world were in apartheid South Africa. Right. So it was super obvious to me, you know, even growing up to 10 years old, like there was literally whites only beaches, right. Still in my lifetime. And so, you know, being aware of that and, you know, in some ways participating in that, but in some ways not participating in that because my parents were, you know, very much against that. And that led us to leave South Africa. Um, and then, you know, now to, to participate in it, I always felt like, oh, well, I'm not like that because, you know, ultimately look at my history and I can see apartheid when it's there and, and, you know, that's it. But ultimately, you know, there's, there's a lot like on reflection, there's a lot. You know, there's a lot in in how um, I interact with physicians. There's a lot in how I interact with the community. There's a lot about how we create safe spaces for doctors to gather together. You know, all of those things have been um, conversations that I've started to realize. And, and a lot of it I learned from like when I was writing the book, The Community Cure, going and sitting in these groups, right? And be going into Oakland and seeing, you know, 35 people in a room together and, and seeing the, the depth of, of um, disparities between the different people in the groups. And so I think there's, there's a lot of like um, soul searching and, and connection that comes from, you know, being in it and recognizing that this is probably for all of us. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing 
that insight. And I think you highlighted that aspect of Dr. Zimmer's talk where she talks about having, I think she phrases it moral courage, where you have to have that bravery to look back and to reflect and to see where your shortcomings are. And in a lot of ways, I think that's step one when we're thinking about how we're going to dismantle these problematic aspects of our society. And it also made me think, just as I'm thinking about clinical takeaways that I had personally, um, was the talk by Dr. Stephen Porges, where he talked about this concept of intimacy and how it actually relates not just in our close partner relationships, but all of our social exchanges. Um, and for example, he said, you know, our body language helps um, for the people around us to understand if they're safe. And he mentioned even simply maintaining eye contact or using facial expressions. These things, of course, are feeding back to those around us about uh, what he even called predation risk, which I think is really you know, a, a stunning, startling way to say, are, are there predators around us? Um, but I think this plays out in the treatment room when we're with patients and behind a screen and furiously typing. And are we even cultivating that aspect of healthcare that allows for the therapeutic partnership to thrive so that when we go to those hard spaces, like you mentioned, that that, that information is, is able to surface so that we can offer um, assistance and healing. And just the last thing I'll say about the group visit model is what a beautiful way to inform a group of people that their nervous system can rest so that those experiences can surface and there can be a collective healing. Exactly. And that gets into some of the polyvagal stuff that I thought was really interesting, just like the science of safety and uh, how do you help people feel safe and how do you, how do you turn on the parasympathetic nervous system, you know, consistently, or how do you get people into those kind of spaces? So, yeah, I think that was really interesting. And, and I think for many doctors who have for most of their career participated in, for want of a better word, like disease medicine, there's also kind of a large and looming shadow of that and how, you know, that has not been empowering, right. That has not been, um, taking into account everyone's perspective. That's been a sort of a, 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 a drug dispensing machine, right? One way or another. And there is some, you know, there is some shadow to that that has to be dealt with as doctors, you know, start to make a journey into practicing in this new way that if, if even if you're practicing health medicine now, you know, you're still kind of viewed with the credentials of disease medicine and all of the baggage that comes along with, you know, the sort of the highs and lows of that, of that history. Yeah. In the, in Amy's opening statements at AIC, she said, we really need to move away from standing alone and appreciate which what every practitioner has to offer what they bring to the table because that's what happened 30 years ago when IFM was founded right it was this appreciation for so many different modalities and philosophies uh, I'd love to hear from you as someone who from my perspective is very well connected in the field of functional medicine how do we start approaching these conversations as allies to find alignment between more of that interventionist model and the functional medicine world? Well, I'm biased because I'm like working on this the whole time, but like, I want to get people in rooms together. You know, the whole goal of the functional forum meetups was always like, how do you put people in a room together to actually start to develop real empathy? Because I think that a lot of times, you know, there is this, there is this gap and it was also, commented on by Mark Hyman and Laurie Hoffman and Joe Pizzorno in one of their sessions too, that there is this, you know, this gap. And look, the, 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 the medical delivery of 
calf of type two diabetes is pretty stuck, right? In its in its difference between like the, the the allopathic approach and the functional medicine approach. And we have to honor that there is a significant difference in those two approaches. But as you said, like we need disease medicine, like definitely. And it's a it's an important part of the future of medicine. But ultimately, you know, the the growth and and the trajectory that I think all of us see in this community is that if we were able to scale up the delivery of health medicine via functional medicine to a whole population, we wouldn't need as much disease medicine because there wouldn't be as much disease. And I think that's, you know, the, the, the shining light for me. And I think what's really happened in this pandemic is I think a lot of doctors have realized that like that there's a certain understanding of, you know, health creation that needs to be um, needs to be needs to be brought in. In fact, I want to actually talk about this because Dr. Gallant talked about this and I love Dr. Gallant. I've always thought he was such a great communicator, but he talked about this missing curriculum. Right. I just love that phrase, this missing curriculum. There's a there's doctors see the world through disease and patients see the, the world through illness. Right. And that ultimately, you know, he created this patient centered diagnosis model. that's a central part of the functional medicine operating system, you know, to try and bring those two worlds together. And so I think there's there's potential even in the like the medicine, right? Learning about the functional medicine that can bring those two two areas together. But he said something that was really powerful that I love. We said the more specialists that a patient has been to where they're not getting the results, the greater the need of this missing curriculum. And ultimately, this missing curriculum is functional medicine, right? It's a lifestyle first approach. It's a root cause approach. It's learning the story. It's sitting with people. It's connecting. It's turning on the safety signals because everything else is being lost. And it's not this drug or it's that drug. It's like, let's have a real conversation about what your life is like today. And, I, and I, as I've as I've um, as I've witnessed doctors over the last 15 years make a journey towards functional medicine and and develop some like expertise in it. What I hear from them, they say, is that at the very beginning, they're very much in the minutiae of the, the, the labs and the supplements and the drugs and how to work it all out. But as they become more sophisticated, the first conversation they're having with patients is like, tell me what's going on in your life, because they realize that, you know, that that is the missing curriculum that is that is being kind of left behind. And so I love the phrase that he used, the missing curriculum. And I think that, you know, this is, you know, Functional medicine is the missing curriculum of medical school. And ultimately, you know, if you go to the end of Dr. Gallen's talk, he's like, look, we're even more relevant 30 years in than we ever have been because most people realize that it's that missing curriculum that made us ridiculously successful, um, susceptible to COVID, you know, in this case. So that, that really tied it together for me. And I thought Dr. Gallen, you know, it's, it's obviously played a critical role in the creation of this whole thing. And I think the patient-centered diagnosis can be um, a point of bridging, I guess, between um, disease medicine and, and health medicine. Well, Dr. Gallon's talk was one of my most favorites of the conference as well. And it, it must have been a very profound statement because I also wrote down in my notes the quote that you mentioned about disease is what the doctor sees, but illness is what the patient experiences. And those things are not the same, which I think wow, we really have to sit with that one. That's very profound. Um, and, and to your point, at the end of Dr. Gallen's talk, when he said, bringing the missing curriculum to health practitioners will continue to be an indispensable function of functional medicine. 
wow, what, what an invitation over the next 30 years to continue to advance this model. And just when you were speaking, you said how we do that is to scale up. And I'd love to dive into that a little bit because I know you've done quite a bit of uh, research and work in this area. We've talked about some group visits, um, but you know, there's also just virtual visits in general or other innovative care models leveraging technology. From your perspective, you know, what are a couple takeaways for our listeners of what we can start thinking about to really scale up? Yeah, well, again, this is this is the other thing that I spend a lot of time thinking about. But yeah, I mean, look, I I think that we need to drastically reduce the friction to engage patients into the missing curriculum. And ultimately, if if the only journey for people to get the missing to curriculum is to find a doctor that has had to like break ranks with their whole profession, go through this other education, completely reinvent their practice, completely reinvent their business model, like that is, there's way too much friction in there. And that in a certain degree has, has sort of throttled the growth of the movement because look what it takes for a doctor to like make a journey to now be delivering the missing curriculum. And in the context of technology, are we really delivering that missing curriculum efficiently, given that like me sitting across a desk from you in our two hour first appointment and telling you all about the missing curriculum is an unbelievably inefficient way to deliver that new curriculum. So yeah, so I've been you know really thinking about, look, even, even conventional colleagues understand a few things, right? That most of their patients don't have a lot of immune resilience, right? Most of their patients have experienced experienced a massive increase in social isolation over the last year and a half and need other people to, you know, to connect. And that most of them are not doing the healthy behaviors every day that would create, create new resilience. And so what I've been really focused on is, is how can we help those doctors who just have to know that, right? Prescribe an episode of care that could fulfill that missing curriculum and not just the curriculum, but actually the structure by which people can implement the curriculum and actually get better without ever having to like go through this like long journey for practice transformation. Cause I see that there is a desire even in major medical institutions now to deliver this missing curriculum, this behavior change structure. They don't know that it's called functional medicine necessarily. Right. And they, um, you know, they may even have reservations about that phraseology, but ultimately I think it's part of our, our journey to, you know, the word that's used a lot and I use it a lot because I just think it's a good way of explaining it is functional medicine as the operating system. And what I would say is that, you know, you don't often think about, like, I think that it's almost time for functional medicine to be delivered in a way where it's not really all about functional medicine, where it's just this is the way that we deliver medicine and it happens to have that operating system built into it. And so you see that, you know, more and more startups and entrepreneurs and other people are coming into the space because they recognize there's this huge gap on what we could be doing and what's working versus the way that we've been doing it. And I think that more and more of those kind of like scalable solutions will have the functional medicine operating system built into it. It just won't be called functional medicine because ultimately, you know, there's still a large education gap that needs to be filled for that terminology. Yeah, in the clinic, patients will sometimes ask me, well, you're a naturopathic doctor, so what's the difference between functional medicine and naturopathic medicine? And then that gives me this whole opportunity to discuss how the philosophies are actually very well aligned, but that 
functional medicine or the functional medicine model is really this framework that allows me to solve complex cases. And then I can utilize my naturopathic therapeutics to help patients become well or to seek wellness, seek wholeness. So I also like to think about it as an operating system. Can I just add one thing to that? Is that like the reason why I decided to call the functional forum, the functional forum and bet on functional medicine is because in order to create scale, you need an operating system. And particularly in order to create effective practitioner teams, you need an operating system. And therefore, like when I get asked those kind of questions, I'm like, look, the principles are all there. Like naturopathic medicine is a principle-based medicine, right? There's the six principles, but ultimately how will a team actually work together in clinical care? When will they know when to refer patients back and forth? How will they prioritize the interventions for the individual that's right in front of them? Those are things that functional medicine has in spades. And even someone like of the depth and breadth of um, the, uh, the speaker, just forgetting his name, Lee Hood, right? Lee Hood, incredible. I, I can't tell you that I understood all of his talk because, you know, he's a very heady character and he has just incredible knowledge of, of pathways and systems and engineering ap apply to medicine. But, you know, his idea of P4 medicine, and I've said this a number of times, is, is actualized today through functional medicine. Like this is what you would do if you wanted to deliver uh, medicine that's P4, P4 executed. So, you know, I think even in that talk, what I took away from it, and he said it at the beginning, is that functional medicine providers are well equipped to deliver this new iteration of medicine that's built in omics and systems biology and otherwise. But we don't have to like try and work out how to do it. There's a system that we're all being taught how to do. And if the one central clinician can understand that, then these other functional nutritionists and you know in integrated providers and, and um, conventional providers can all work in a team-based structure. And there's plenty of examples to show that that team-based structure is super duper efficient for delivery of care and also gets great outcomes. Yeah, very well said. And as we're thinking about how we build the collaborative care team in the work that we've been doing um, to educate about how functional medicine can support the COVID-19 pandemic, I think we're seeing a variety of practitioner types who really have something of value to offer to that conversation. We've been able to bring them together um, for a series of offerings that we've had here at IFM. But as we're thinking about functional medicine and COVID-19 specifically, um, I'd love to talk about how functional medicine is actually well-suited now into the future to support those who have so-called COVID long haulers. Um, I've often thought that functional medicine is such a beautiful model because we already know how to support all of the body systems, right? That's never been more relevant. So how do you see functional medicine engaging with the future of the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic and long hauler considerations? Yeah, well, look, how many people's practices in functional medicine have been built around long hauler from other infections, right? Lyme, Epstein-Barr virus, like many practitioners have built a whole following built on their ability to help people with Lyme where all of these specialists couldn't figure it out because of the missing curriculum. Right. And so, you know, so yes, there's a history of us understanding this. There's a history of success in the outcomes. And so, you know, I, I view it as a huge opportunity to, to do it, but look, the, the opportunity only really lands if we can prove that the outcomes are better. 
And this has been something that, you know, I've been been hot on and now I'm kind of taking into my own hands, honestly, because I've been just like desperately disappointed with, you know, how it's gone in the seven years that I've been kind of centrally involved here is look at what a look at what a landslide or a, a sort of a, a moment there is where functional medicine makes it into BMJ or JAM. It's huge. But the only reason why that happened is because the Cleveland Clinic got their ducks in a row, thought it through properly and executed in a way where their data now can inform, you know, the whole of the rest of the industry. Your average doctor in private practice doesn't really have the incentive to track their outcomes in that way. There are some examples now of organizations that are doing that. But like, okay, we all think that we can do a great job at COVID long hauler syndrome. And I bet we can. And I know that we've got all the pieces, but we got to prove it. And we got to prove it by patient reported outcome measures and pain measures and all the other ways that conventional medicine determines whether their results are good. And if we can use that same system and be able to show that, okay, groups of people with long COVID, you know, coming together and learning through a curriculum and building function through their organs and systems and learning how to take care of the bottom of the matrix and starting to understand their stories, like we are perfectly positioned to execute on that and we have so many tools that conventional medicine doesn't have. And yet, in order for us to become the leader, we have to be able to document that this thing works. And I think all of us know that it works as we've seen people who have been everywhere else come to us and get better. But ultimately, that doesn't really like move the needle in the way that an article in JAMA or the British Medical Journal does. Yeah, when we think about there's those stats that say, you know, any intervention from bench to bedside is going to take 10, 15, maybe 20 years, but we just don't have time to wait 20 years at this point. So seeing all these therapeutics roll out that certainly support the immune component, but now the mitochondrial function, modulating inflammation, supporting the vasculature, you know, ensuring antioxidant capacity, all of that is so exciting. Um, and to see that emerge at such a rapid pace is really a, a sight to see. And I'm wondering just since you are so engaged with, um, with practitioners that are active in the field, they're collecting data all the time. We're all collecting data all the time, just in our daily life in the clinic. How do you suppose that practitioners, just any clinician should share that information and network and, and start to collect that data? Well, the first thing is to collect the data in a way that is, you know, is other doctors will validate like the MSQ for all its awesomeness. No one cares about that. Like they don't even know what it is. Like the symptoms went down, you know, and so you have to, you have to collect data in the right way. And so I've been fortunate actually to spend a bit of time with Christy Adamo, who's quite connected to IFM and just really think about, okay, what could we measure that would move the needle? And then let's do that because the truth is, everyone's got a digital thing now, right? They've got an EHR, they've got a system. It's not that difficult to have as part of your onboarding in your practice, hey, go and fill out these X number of questions that are NIH validated metrics for, you know, promise or, you know, there's even like mental health ones that we've been working with that are just a short number of questions that are NIH validated. I mean, pain is one. So Mylene Wynn and her talk was amazing. And, and obviously we're in such a great um place to really help with chronic pain. It's a biopsychosocial illness. There are, you know, physiological reasons why people experience pain, loneliness. I thought that was a really interesting talk and it was cool to see pain kind of mapped onto the, you know, the functional medicine matrix, but like we could, you know, there, there are, um, you know, just telling people, asking them what 
their pain score is between one and 10, like that's a validated measure of pain. And so why couldn't we be like doing that very easily with some of the technology that we have when patients are coming in with pain, which is a, is a factor when it comes to things like autoimmune disease for sure. And, um, you know, and musculoskeletal stuff and long COVID and Lyme. So, you know, I think, I think it's about really thinking like, Hey, now that I have a technologically, technologically evolved practice, right. Where I have an EHR and I have a email automation system and I have an onboarding system, you know, could I just do a little bit of work now to work out how to, you know, to send patients to something other than the MSQ so that I'd be able to show, you know, through, 100 patients that like my long haul COVID protocol does work. And some doctors are forced into it when they're part of like an ACO, right? An accountable care organization or their data is feeding in somewhere that people have already thought about this. But one of the downsides of the way that functional medicine has grown amongst individual practitioners who care, you know, who have just made this journey is that we haven't been good at that. So I expect that to be something that more and more doctors are engaged with because I've seen a lot of organizations now want to hire functional medicine doctors because they realize that they don't know what the missing curriculum is and they recognize that functional medicine has it. Well, I think we can really relate that to the pain talk that you just brought up of addressing the missing curriculum and then also honoring that the approach is likely multimodal and figuring out how we're going to track that. Because when we think about the chronification of pain, I think it's really natural to consider, you know, adverse childhood events or poor health, poor nutrition. But as you mentioned, loneliness, things like perceived injustice of, wow, I don't think that many of us are thinking about how this can contribute to pain chronification. Um, And then also just honoring that the approach to pain is the lifestyle factors, movement, physical medicine, behavioral therapy, maybe acupuncture, energy medicine, that there's so many practitioners that can participate in that collaborative care model to really support pain patients. So I think that was a good lecture to kind of tidy up those topics that you've already mentioned about building a collaborative care team and addressing the missing curriculum that really is going to be the game-changing factor when someone's already seen so many specialists and they're still having symptoms. Yeah. And one other shout out I'll give out that I thought was interesting is wound healing, right? Who would have thought that functional medicine could have an impact in something that's that acute? We'd probably even think, okay, well, that's where the disease guys have to be because we're doing the health medicine over here. But even in that, just to like, I just got a quick download on that and, and realized like, yeah, there's a lot, the degree to which the, how the body heals is a function of the internal processes and the health of the body, who knew, right? But, you know, it's really cool to see functional medicine starting to have a voice in those traditionally like acute uh, medicine areas. And I think that's where we see this interface, right? Of It doesn't have to be either or, it can be also and, and just as you described, coming to that conversation in a position of allyship and understanding how everyone can contribute and ultimately the patient benefits if we're able to have that conversation and to build that that team. Um, as we're coming to the end of our episode, I want to make sure that we we spend a little time talking about the path forward because that's why we do the annual international conference, right? It's to collect this information, to download this information and then decide how can we implement this in patient care moving forward. So now that AIC is behind us, we're looking ahead to 
what's, what's going to happen in the next year or the next 30 years? And I know you're very engaged and excited about the possibilities um, in the near future. So, I mean, what do you think? What, what's happening next? Well, I'll give everyone a sort of a, a heads up. So each year at the, the, uh, the Evolution of Medicine, we have an annual um, theme, right? So we were very prescient with Resilience 2020, obviously with what went down there. This year, we're all about the reinvention of medicine and really starting to have conversations about the reinvention of clinical care and also this summer mental health. But we're already set for 2022 and our theme there, which is really growth, right? It's the growth of the industry. And it's also the growth. It's the growth of the industry. It's the growth of the ecosystem. It's the growth of access. But it's also like personal growth, I think, is a, is a conversation. And I think that, you know, part of what we were challenged to in this conference is that journey of personal growth. And, you know, the, the, the impact of a little bit of growth from clinicians on their whole patient base for the whole rest of their career is dramatic. And so if you think about it in those terms, you know, I think there's a great opportunity, you know, in the summer after this conference to reflect and spend some time thinking about how we're going to reinvent the way that we practice. And then with that reinvention, how can we now grow access to, to this kind of care? So, um, that's that's my my thought is that there's this great opportunity now to sort of prep for this exponential growth in the care that we're going to see. And, you know, Mark Hyman shared in that sort of conversation that he had with um, Linus Pauling award winner, Laurie Hoffman and Joe Pizzorno, um, that he saw, I think, the, these three ideas that he felt were going to drive the growth. Right. So one is food as medicine. And I think that people are coming around to that. Like it's obvious, it's been obvious for 30 years, but now it's like irrefutable and super clear that, you know, we really need to do that. And that's coming from on high, it's coming from farmers, it's coming from healthcare. So we're seeing like that really starting to be front and center. The second is the delivery system. So we spoke a little bit about that. Like, so what is this functional medicine like? What is, how do we deliver this missing curriculum in a way that is easy and makes it easy for people to execute on it and is delivered in a way that people are used to getting information and how is it like grounded in our medical, you know, relationships. And then there's this, like the last bit, which is a little bit Lee Hood and a little bit everything else, which is this like convergence of omics and systems, quantified self, big data and AI, which is not really in the purview of each individual clinician, apart from get the data, right? Because we could do all the back end stuff with it already. But if we can actually track outcomes data and have that data in a way that, you know, it can, it can feed into some of those systems, you know, the sooner that the sooner that big data gets access to the outcomes of functional medicine, the sooner it'll be clear that this has to be the operating system of medicine, as far as I see it. And there are organizations that are getting that kind of data and have hired functional medicine people historically and are starting to build data sets that show that if you eat like this, you get this kind of outcome, but that's, that's the next phase. And, you know, whether or not Silicon Valley executes on that or whether or not the, you know, functional medicine ecosystem executes on that or whether those two things just converge and it just becomes the thing, we'll see, I guess. <laughs> yeah, well, it's wonderful how you've described this reinvention of medicine and, and focus on health medicine. And you already mentioned our Linus Pauling Award winner, Lori Hoffman, and it was um, so profound to watch her speech and to hear about her efforts over the last several years to really engage a larger community for the advancement of functional medicine. And you and I have talked 
over the course of this episode about how we start to to bring practitioners, healthcare providers into that fold, into that conversation. But in terms of um, opening the conversation to the larger population, what do you think that means for the functional medicine ecosystem over the next 30 years? Are we going to continue to see our community grow and in, in a perfect ideal scenario to become more of a standard approach? Yeah, my hope is that ultimately it's not in 30 years, it's not a functional medicine community, right? That, that, that the terminology just gets baked into the way that we actually deliver care because it's human, right? Because it's based in story, it's empathetic, it's empowering. And I don't know, like, I think there's going to be like a rocky road for the next few years as these sort of like ideologies about the future of humanity kind of come into opposition, but I think in the 30 year time frame, we're good <laughs> in my lifetime. I mean, I'm 40 now. I'm intending to participate. There was actually something they talked about with mentorship and young people. A lot of the, you know, IFM um, senior uh, people becoming senior and looking for this next iteration of, um, you know, who's going to step into leadership to take the group forward. And I think there's tons of people inside the IFM and the functional medicine movement generally, and even in, you know, academia and in business and otherwise that are sort of stepping forth to, to grab the mantle. So I'm, I'm very bullish, but I'm always like an optimist about it. But I think um, there's plenty of signs that we're headed in the right direction. Well, this is the perfect opportunity for me to put a plug in for what you're referring to, which was a, a series of legacy videos that IFM recorded where we had a, a pioneer, a functional medicine pioneer in a variety of topics, and then uh, brought on, you know, a, a newer clinician in that field. And there, there is this very nourishing transfer of, of lived experience and all of the clinical takeaways that these clinicians have acquired over their you know, decades of practice. And I think that mentorship piece and that transfer um, of knowledge and experience is one of the ways that functional medicine will flourish because our community is so willing to offer the mentorship and the guidance to any clinicians who want to enter this realm. Beautiful. Well, I'm excited for this and I hope that podcasts like this can draw in new people and get them onto a path towards you know, playing whatever role they want, whether it's leadership or otherwise into, you know, taking the movement forward. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to be here on the podcast and to synthesize what went down. And, you know, it was really cool to go through and, and see all the different um, speakers and leaders and, you know, all the different areas that have been brought in and uh, hope this gave everyone at home a taste of what happened. And I really look forward to 2022 in person um, and, you know, fingers crossed, we'll all be able to uh, connect in person in Dallas next year and have a great time. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. I know you've devoted much of your time and your energy into advancing the functional medicine model and helping clinicians to scale up, as you said, and really deliver this information in a sustainable way. So really appreciate your time. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you. To join the conversation on this topic, visit IFM's pages on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about functional medicine, visit ifm.org.